How might we do less, better as teachers? Today in the show, I share my top strategies for saving time and cultivating harmony when everything feels chaotic. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are Teaching Tomorrow. It is just us today with a solo episode. Hi. If you prefer the episodes where I talk to somebody really amazing and inspiring in education, totally skip this one. Come back to the next episode. You'll be joined with me and another amazing guest. But I got to tell you, since I started this podcast, I have kept a running list of ideas for solo episodes. But honestly, I gravitate more towards interviewing experts in education because I would just so much rather ask the questions and highlight other people's brilliance than take a position of authority myself. There's totally nothing to unpack there, is there? (laughs) But to make my life a little easier while doing this PhD, I'm switching up the podcast schedule a little bit and interviewing an amazing person once a month and bringing in a solo episode once a month. A really clear piece of feedback that I got from the listener survey is that an episode roughly every two weeks is way better for you. So I love that. My life these days has been about doing less, better. You know that saying, when you're tired, learn to rest, not quit. I think Banksy actually said this. I mean, he didn't say it, he put it on a wall somewhere. But I really feel like that's our motto right now as educators. We need to learn when we're tired to rest, not to quit. So in that vein, I am finally doing the episode I've been thinking of for about three years. These are my favorite teacher time-saving hacks. You've heard many of these before. I certainly didn't invent them. Some of these I learned from veteran teachers. Some I learned through the amazing Angela Watson and her 40-hour teacher work week, which I will link in the show notes and you definitely need to do if you don't know about that yet. Some I just learned by being tired and having kids and getting to the end of my rope. But I hope that one of these hacks you might be able to try on or experiment with. But please, please, please learn to rest or go slower rather than quit. Here's the thing. If you're listening to a podcast about education, you are an amazing educator who cares about the practice and their students. I just don't believe that teachers who don't care or have completely become apathetic are listening to a podcast in their spare time. We need to learn to do less, better, rather than give up on teaching altogether. And we know that there are teachers leaving this profession the last two years more than we've ever seen before. Also, lists make me happy and an organized list makes my heart smile so the first five things on this list are stuff you can do right now and then the next five take some strategy and planning we'll get into that in a little bit so here we go my top 10 teacher time-saving hacks the first one is to automate as many tasks as possible something changed dramatically in my practice when I realized that I could have a bank of report card comments that I wrote that were really good. I mean, I was really fortunate because I was teaching roughly the same kind of class for several years in a row. But as soon as I wrote one really good comment, I just had a Google Doc open and I pasted a phrase or a sentence that was really stellar. And then I would, you know, it was like roughly organized. So I tried to organize them in things that are working well, things that they need to work on, things that are some of the next steps. And then within those categories, I would sort of organize them into 
needing some help with proofreading or needs to look at the success criteria more clearly, just like based on themes that were very, very common that I would see every single year with my students. And then, you know, I would always create fresh report card comments for each student. It was never a canned comment. But if I had written a sentence or two a year ago that really worked with Melissa, and then when I taught another kid, Rebecca, that was actually super similar, I could then use that comment and tweak it here and there to make it make sense for that student. But I mean, I guess this maybe isn't automating, but it's just taking the time out of redoing tasks that you don't need to redo from from scratch every single time. Um, the other one that I did was with emails. If there was like a stock response that I would often give, you know, a student asking me, um, I missed class on Tuesday, what did I miss? Um, <laughs> just an aside, do you ever get those emails from students and they're like, I missed class on Tuesday, did I miss anything? And like, I always wanted to write back and be like, yeah, we just stared at the wall and we did nothing the whole time just because we were missing you and we didn't want to do anything without you here. I, I never sent that response, but it always popped up in my head as like, there's a different way to phrase this. So I would have like a stock response to that and it would just be like on my notes or on like a Google Doc. And then every time that I got that very, you know, common email from somebody, I would pop it in and I would just, you know, change around a few things to address that student or anything specific that I needed to say. But I didn't need to rewrite the email every single time. The other one that I just started using that I love um, is called Calendly, and you probably have heard it before, but I just started using it. I had a couple of times where I would be sending out um, options of days for different um, podcast recording times, and I just set it up so that when I'm sending someone a time where we could possibly record a podcast, I set working hours for myself between nine and two. And then, you know, like I was trying to schedule a call with my friend Adam. I just sent him the Calendly link. He went in, he found a time that worked with his calendar, and then it automatically popped into my Google Cal. You don't need to keep looking through your calendar and sending somebody like four different days and those days don't work with his calendar. Just something small like Calendly like made my life so much better. Number two, the daily to-do list. Okay, so this I got from Angela Watson when I was doing the 40-hour teacher work week, and it is brilliant. I used to have a to-do list on my computer. Um, I've used various apps for it, and I would organize it by um, like task or theme. So one would be you know, like cohort 21 tasks, or one would be um, teaching tasks. Another one would be you know like a PLC group that I was on. So like kind of by like different hats that I wear, different jobs that I would do. Instead, I switched a couple years ago into doing my to-do lists by days of the week. And maybe you already do this, uh, but I love this. So I have days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the weekend. And I'll have also another to-do list, which is to be assigned. And then I just go through and any task that comes up, I put it on a day. Now, this might not seem like that big of a deal for you, but I promise you it creates a different system that reduces teacher exhaustion and overwhelm because I would look at my to-do list and I would never feel accomplished because there was always stuff on that to-do list and I would never feel like I, I could just like 
feel satisfied with how much I had accomplished. But then when I moved it into the days of the week system, for example, on Tuesday, I knew when I had preps on Tuesday. I knew what I had after school on Tuesday. So if it was like a pretty open day, you know, open, like teachers don't have open days, but, you know, I had a good amount of preps and I didn't have something after school and I didn't have to do something before school, I might schedule a few more things in there so that at the end of the day on Tuesday, I could actually feel accomplished. Like, oh, I did all my things. Oh, I did all my things early. I can just leave my computer at school today. Uh, This for me was huge. And then if I didn't accomplish the things that I needed to on Tuesday, I could reassign to another day, move it into another category on my to-do list app based on when I had more time. I just think like it's the same amount of stuff that I had to get done, but I felt less busy. I felt less overwhelmed, which, you know, mentally, I think the idea of feeling busy is like a good percentage of it is cognitive. So for me, that was a huge game changer. Um, The other one that I did that I loved was taking my work email off my phone. So I would often, when I was in the classroom, get emails from teachers, um, you know, just about small things, and I would want to reply right away. Or you would get um, an email from a parent and you would see the notification come up on my phone when I was like getting ready for bed or brushing my teeth and it was like 8.30 and, you know, I'm just tired and it would then spiral me out of control when I'm going to bed of like, oh my gosh, this parent is mad at me, they want to have a call with me. But when I took email off my phone for school, all of a sudden, I knew that if I was going to check my work email, it was going to be when I was in teacher mode. And I know that obviously now as we're working from home more, there's blurred lines between teacher self and work self and home self. But we really noticed a huge change in my household and my family when I wasn't seeing work on my phone. You know, like I'm on my phone and I'm scrolling Instagram and I'm trying to relax. Then you get the notification. Just take work email off your phone. And at the very least, if you need your phone for like reading emails on the go, I took off the notifications also at one point, just as like a, I didn't want to get the pop-ups. So if I wanted to check my work email, it was a conscious choice to go in and check it. That for me was a huge change. The other thing that I did was only check my email during specific times of the day and only respond to emails at a specific time in the day. Because there's a lot of like, you know, it's like small little piecemeal work. And I found if I had an hour in the morning or half an hour in the afternoon to actually just do all of my email responding, I actually found I was more productive. I actually got more done in that smaller amount of time. So it's, you know, singular focused tasks. And it saved me time because I would get into the groove, I would get into the flow. And I would also try as much as possible to clear out my entire inbox to have email zero so that it actually felt like, oh, I'm done. We all have those emails that just sort of linger in our inbox because you know you need to do something with them. But I I found it was way easier for me when I started just to turn that into a to-do list item or respond really briefly saying, I'm going to look at this in a few days and then write a to-do list note for myself to do that so that I think that mentally it just made me feel less overwhelmed when I saw my email. Okay, number four, borrow, steal, redo lessons. Like, let's just stop inventing our lessons from scratch, especially now. There are so many other people that have done it before us, and they probably have done it better than what we can create when we're tired and exhausted and overwhelmed. Um, 
I feel like early on in my teaching career, I had a lot of pride about putting my own self into my lessons and designing things because I'm pretty awesome at designing things as well. I really like that process. It's really fun. Um, But last year when I was co-teaching with the best teacher in the world, I stole all of her lessons because that's what we did. I planned all the English stuff. She planned all of the social studies stuff. And I learned so much more about how to design really good lessons by borrowing and stealing and taking what she was giving me. I actually think this is the best time-saving tool that we can give ourselves. You know, and I don't think our students ultimately will remember the arc of these really beautifully, wonderfully crafted lessons we do. I think our students ultimately want somebody who is present with them. A student wants a caring, humane, connected educator. Like, yes, good lessons make a difference. And ultimately, though, I think that they want people that they feel seen by and they feel cared for. And we're actually going to be able to do that for our students when we're refreshed and we're not exhausted. Uh, So borrow, steal, and redo lessons. Number five, prep your meals on the weekend. Oh my God, prep your meals on the weekend. Easier and quicker, just do easy, quick two to three meals of big batches of things, stick them in the freezer. I know that it sometimes cognitively can feel like a lot, but if you can go through and plan your meals for the week ahead of time, do a grocery shop on the weekend, organize it. That way, when you get home at the end of the day, you're not thinking, what am I going to make for dinner? It's already there. It's defrosted in the fridge for 17 hours, whatever it's been doing, and you're ready to go. Dinners should not take a ton of time on weeknights. They shouldn't take a lot of cognitive effort. They should just be ready to go. And ideally, they should just be like frozen and needing to be heated up. I find that time right when I get home to when the first kid goes to bed is just like chaos. If you're a teacher with young kids at home, I found that first year back after maternity leave was just bonkers. Even if you have to get care on the weekends or if you have to like spell you and your partner off to take care of the children, getting as many meals prepped as possible on the weekend will just save you so much more time. It's easier to chop, you know, three carrots all at once than it is to chop one carrot on Tuesday and then another carrot for another meal on Wednesday. Do it all together as much as you possibly can. Um, So the second half of this to-do list are things that actually, um, you know, take a little bit more planning and a little bit more organization, but they're also things that, you know, in the long run, I think save you more time. So kind of attached to this idea of meal prep is using a meal prep tool. Um, And this is maybe something you've heard of before, maybe something you haven't, but the meal prep tool that I'm obsessed with is called Plan to Eat. And this is not sponsored by them. I'm not getting any commission from them, although I totally wish I was because they're amazing. But the app Plan to Eat, I think it's like $30 a year or something. It's a tool where you can go in and add in a bunch of recipes. So here's what I'm talking about. It takes a little bit of time at first to like import your bookmark recipes that you are often going to that you have saved somewhere in your 
internet accounts um, or, you know, copying and pasting the URLs from New York Times cooking or even more so to like actually type out the recipes from your favorite cookbooks. But here's the thing. You go in and it gives you a calendar and then you drag and drop the meals that you want on a given day. Okay, no big deal. You're thinking probably something you could do in Google Calendar. Here's the catch. It has all of the ingredients that are linked to each of the recipes. So then you go into the plan section of the tool and you set your grocery list for a certain number of days. You're like, okay, this is my next week. What are the groceries I need? And it gives you an itemized grocery list. So it just makes that tool of like, what am I gonna eat on Wednesday night? So much easier. And then when you're doing your grocery shopping, it gives you your entire list of things that you need for those meals. This saves me so much time with something that is like totally banal. I don't get any joy from meal planning, but the less time I take doing it, the more time I save later on. It's kind of like that idea, I don't know if you've heard this before, but when you have money, you can save more money. Anyone who has a Costco membership understands this. It costs you more to like put in the, I don't know, $25 to get a ton of toilet paper, but then it saves you long, it saves you more money in the long run. So same thing with time. If you put in the initial effort to like input your recipes and plan to eat, it then saves you so much more time in terms of deciding what to eat and when and what groceries you need each week. I've also stopped going to the grocery store. Some people, this is their zen to go to the grocery store. I do not care for it. And I just, you know, order everything online and I pick it up. Um, you know, I pick the kids up from school, we go into the parking lot, they put groceries in the car and I take them home. So in terms of saving time with grocery shopping, if it doesn't bring you joy, stop doing it. If that's, you know, grocery shopping is the thing that you're like, nope, that's my cardio. I love that time. I get to be around nobody and I don't have to talk to anybody then keep doing it. But like actually evaluate for yourself. Does that actually give you energy? And if not, find a way to do it in a more efficient amount of time. Um, the next one does take some work and some planning, but just leave your computer at work. If you've got a filing cabinet that locks, choose one of those days where you accomplish your to-do list items in a relatively like efficient amount of time. And just see what happens when you don't mark things at night, one night a week, when you actually just go for a walk and you go to bed at nine o'clock or you don't bother reading your emails after school. Just experiment with picking one day, a good day where you have some time to get work done at school and see what happens when you leave your computer at work. Okay, number seven. Another thing that actually does take more time, and hear me out, it's a little weird, but I think it does actually give you time in the long run. Send a good note home email. I had a list of all my students and I would keep track of when I would send a good news email home. I tried to block this off in my calendar to do like celebrations. And for about an hour, I would just kind of go through the week, go through my students and send that email home to the kids, to the parents of the kids who, you know, needed to be recognized for something small, something significant, but it made such a huge difference. I would often be strategic and very early on, I would send home emails to kids that I'm like, mm, I might need to have a more difficult conversation with this family eventually. Like I was maybe worried about the meeting expectations or I saw some early behavioral things that might need to be addressed later. 
So I found something, sometimes it was tiny, like they held a door open for someone. Sometimes it was significant, like they read out loud in class and it was amazing. Or sometimes it was, you know, like a real moment of success. She got 18 out of 20 on that quiz, go her. I would often um, just put this off and put this off. And then the year where I really prioritized it, I found like every single time I would send home an email like that, I would always get an email back from families saying how wonderful it was how and then like not only just them saying thank you but then it would also go into family saying I you know Sophie can't stop talking about how much she's enjoying the class you're doing right now I just wanted you to know that so then they send positive things back to you and it's like actually gives you energy and then that allows you to go a little further on in your week with a little bit of like positivity and sparkle it doesn't necessarily like save you time uh, hours wise but I think that it gives you the energy to keep going and you know you could make an argument that when you have a positive rapport with some of your families and some of your students that you know may need a little bit of extra support throughout the year you've established something to begin with that's I see your kid and I think they're awesome and then when you maybe need to send a more difficult email home like "Mm, they're not doing their homework or "Mm, I've noticed this They're not meeting the expectations on this one area. These are some things I'm thinking. Parents already, like it doesn't turn into then a two-hour conversation on the phone where their back is up or their lid is flipped. It it can be a little bit more of a productive conversation. So perhaps you're saving money or sorry, saving time on those kinds of possible more emotional conversations later on. But sending the good note home email, schedule it once a week in your calendar, it will pay you back in so many positive emails and warm fuzzies that it's worth it just for that. Okay, number eight, stop marking, stop reading everything. Just design tasks that don't require a ton of time to mark. And I know that that's outside of some people's control because you don't always design all your own tasks. But see how you might give formative feedback in class. You know, I started marking beside my students when they're right there. Like I'll just kind of like walk up beside them as they're working on something and like do a formative, yep, you got that, you got that. Ooh, go back and look over at this one. This isn't for like a formal test, but it might be like a practice thing in class that it gives them feedback on the go, uh, but it doesn't have to be something you take home. Um, You know, we could also automate feedback with tools like, you know, Google Forms can turn it into a test so you can give them the right answers after they complete the test. Of course, Kahoot does that really amazingly that we love. And Edpuzzle is another way to automate feedback. You know, students deserve feedback, but you don't need to donate every evening of your night to give them that uh, thing that they really require. Um, Sometimes I've even been marking in class. So I've said to my students, hey, I think that you really want this assignment back within a week. Is that accurate? And the students were like, yeah, I really do want it back within a week. I'm like, okay, cool. I've designed the next three days to be an independent learning task. This is what you'll do if you need help. I'm here. Um, I'm going to be marking these pieces. And if I have any questions, I'm going to walk over to you and show you what I've marked from you. And every single student has been like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. They got their marking back within a week and they were able to work on this independent task. I was able to support them when they had questions. And then I was able to even like, you know, send them their assignment back through email and say, all right, Izzy, you've got your assignment. Check it out. Let me know if you've got any questions. So she sees automatically when she has it. Number nine. Uh, reevaluate 
the time it takes to write report cards. Um, you have know, talked about the bank of report card comments, but I would challenge you for like one block of report card writing to actually time on average how long it takes you to write a student comment. Some things you might do to reconsider how much time you're taking. Assume good intent, err on the side of the student. Whenever you're kind of like hemming and hawing, if it takes you too long, just lean over towards the student getting the higher mark. If you're trying to decide between a three plus and a three, just give them the three plus. It is okay. Um, and also take a moment and consider how long your report cards are actually read. Another thing, it takes time to put in ahead of time, but use some kind of portfolio tracker to document the student success criteria that they are actually demonstrating in each assignment so that you have kind of like a running record for each student in your class of she showed me this success criteria point, she showed me this other success criteria point, she did not show me this other one. So if you organize your class with learning goals and if you have um, you know, more of a standards-based curriculum, this will save you tons of time. If for every assignment you're getting back, you're not just recording if they got seven out of 10 on the assignment, you're also recording the learning goals they achieved and the learning goals they still need to work on. Ultimately, and this is maybe a controversial point, I don't think that report cards, especially in the middle level, I think when we're getting into university acceptance, it's a little bit different, but ultimately I don't think that middle school report cards are scoured over in the amount of depth and detail that we put into them. You know, I've had years where I spend, you know, like 45 minutes on each comment for my students and they're like so personal and so well-crafted. And I literally get the same amount of feedback as when I'm spending 20 minutes per student and I'm like much more efficient and very thoughtful and um, strategic about how I understand that student's level of success. And it, it's okay to put in less amount of time on tasks that ultimately are valuable and important, but each student should really know where they stand in your class based on the kinds of work that you've given them. So their report card is kind of just a closing of the loop. So it doesn't, it shouldn't need to take you a ton of time. But again, like the other, the last five things that I've mentioned, this is one that, you know, it takes a bit of a cognitive shift to start thinking about standards-based grading and how to document your students' learning through the assignments leading up to the report card comment. So that's another one that might be a future goal for you. Okay, number 10 is flip your classes. We've been talking about this in education for a long time, at least 10 years. So that's why I put it at number 10, because I assume that this is not news to you. But here's the deal. If you record a lesson, and if you have three classes where you teach roughly the same thing for each of these classes, have them watch the video either before or during your class, then you don't have to see the exact same thing three times. It just saves you that cognitive bandwidth and it also saves you the time of, you could probably be doing something more valuable <laughs> while you're in class with your students. Um, then the time in class with your students becomes the time that you can actually use for formative feedback so that you're not taking that home with you at the end of the night. Students are practicing skills, you're walking up beside them, you're watching their progress, you're giving them in the moment feedback, um, or you're using you know, the time in class, like I mentioned before, to actually mark student work and call them over and show them their successes and answer any questions they have. Okay, so that's my 
top 10, just to go over it. Number one, automate tasks. Number two, create a daily to-do list organized by day of the week. Number three, take your email off your phone. Number four, borrow, steal, redo lessons. Five, prep your meals on the weekend. Six, leave your computer at work. Seven, send good note home emails. Number eight, stop marking, stop reading everything. Number nine, reevaluate the time it takes to write report cards. And 10, flip your classes when possible. Here's the thing. I only got more efficient as a teacher once I had children. I just could not take work home with me. So, you know, consider putting something in your calendar if you don't have children that's a non-negotiable like schedule something outside of school that you have to go to one of my teacher friends would you know every she was pretty amazing at it but like every day after school she would have another event like she would go to rugby or she would go to like a class and it would force her to be more efficient during the day so that she could actually go to that thing because she had like financially committed to it and then it she would have to leave her computer at school So that's not always available to everybody. Perhaps it's something to strive towards. But putting more things in your schedule seems a little bit risky, but it can actually force you to be more efficient and strategic with your time. Work smarter, don't work harder. All right. (laughs) I hope that you got something out of this. Um, Likely you know a lot of these ideas already. See what you can experiment with this one thing this one year. Can you make your practice 1% easier? Can you make your practice 1% more efficient? And then build on that. Work smarter, not harder. A couple of things coming up to get excited about with the podcast. Um, Our next episode will be an amazing conversation with New Leaf Foundation. We're talking about yoga, mindfulness, addressing stress and exhaustion in schools. It is an amazing conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. Um, we're also going to be having, uh, I don't want to say too much about it because it's still in progress, but we're going to be doing an episode like probably around like December or January where I'm going to do a creative departure from the traditional episode format to bring you a piece about teaching journalistic writing. There's going to be some dramatic scenes, sharing research and best practices. I'm actually doing this for assignment for my teaching writing class. So it might be good, might be awkward, but it's going to be something. So look forward to that. Um, I'm also looking at starting a podcast fellowship. And again, this feels very early to be talking about, but I like putting things out there because it actually forces me to get moving on them. Um, We're in the very early stages, but my friend Adam and I are thinking about um, bringing in other voices. And I just want to put it out there that if you've ever dreamed of interviewing somebody or you kind of want to start a podcast, but you don't want all the work and the investment and the time, Um, we should talk. Maybe you shoot me a DM on Twitter or Instagram or, you know, like if you know me in real life, just send me an email or talk to me. But yeah, we're thinking about something where uh, other folks might be doing small segments for the podcast. (sighs) I'm very excited. I hope that uh, you are doing amazing things in your world and that you are learning how to rest and go slower especially this year that's all the time we have for today folks keep finding those moments of calm and remember we are teaching tomorrow